Yahoo, Katie the Yo, and I'm definitely a geek. Well, it's been kind of a weird week. I'm always in a funk a bit when I go visit my folks, and then there's that initial couple of weeks where it's like, oh, I'm alone again, naturally. But anyway, it's just been a weird week. One of my favorite artists or bands or groups or whatever you want to call them is losing a member, so I'm a little upset about that. And, you know, classes have been weird. Weather's been weird. It's been cold. It's been rainy. A lot of news, too. Just, it's been one of those weeks, I suppose. Anyway, let's just get on with the news. National Public Broadcaster NHK has apologized after mistakenly issuing a warning at around 1900 on Tuesday, January 16th. Now, the alert informed users of the public broadcaster's website, as well as their Japanese apps, that North Korea had most likely launched a missile and it warned individuals to take shelter. But a few minutes later, NHK issued a correction, stating that the message was an error and that a switching error had caused the notice to be mistakenly sent out. Now, this comes only days after Hawaii Hawaiian officials caused panic after issuing false missile alarms, as well as almost two weeks after an incident where false alerts were sent to mobile devices here in Japan after two smaller earthquakes, which occurred almost simultaneously, caused Japan's earthquake early warning system to process the quakes as one larger magnitude 6.4 quake. And this frightened residents across the Kanto region, that's in the Tokyo area and various places, because they got an alert saying that there's a a huge earthquake and take shelter immediately. You know, despite all of this, though, these are good reminders that we should have ways to receive these notifications, make sure that we can get them, and also to be prepared just in case disaster should strike. Mobile carrier Docomo has announced a new option for users who are traveling abroad. Their new Packet Pack Kaigai option service is a new service which allows Docomo users to use their existing data plans, which are normally reserved for use only in Japan, internationally in 205 countries and regions during overseas travel or business trips. Now, each day of service costs 980 yen, and once activated, data used will be subtracted from users' existing Japanese data plans. Service will automatically stop after 24 hours in order to prevent users from using too much data, but you can just turn it on again if you need to. This seems like a great option for users who travel abroad regularly and don't want to have to deal with changing sims or having multiple plans in multiple regions. It's a little expensive, but the new service is scheduled to begin on March 15th for users who would like to try it out, and it replaces the existing Kaigai one-day packet option, which ends on March 14th. Mobile carrier AU is adding a way for parents to temporarily lock the apps on their kids' and teens' smartphones. The Anshin filter for AU allows for parents to enable or disable selected applications remotely, either at will or at scheduled times. Their demo video shows a user activating restricted mode via a tablet app. Within a few seconds, Chrome on the Android smartphone shows an application use restricted message when launched. The screen also notes that usage is restricted between 1500 and 1700 on Tuesdays, and this kind of demonstrates how parents will be able to schedule times for the phones to be automatically restricted. I could see many parents restricting it to just being able to make phone calls or something like that during school hours just for emergency use, etc. And, you know, as far as iOS goes, it's certainly not as elegant a solution as the Android solution is, but 
Presumably, the devices have been placed into what's known as supervised mode, and that involves wiping the phone and installing a special mobile device management profile. And this allows for remote management of the devices. And when activated from the parent's tablet, within a few seconds, all the restricted applications just simply disappear from the iOS home screen, and this prevents kids and teens from using them. And when the scheduled blackout time is finished, those apps will automatically reappear with their data intact. Now, I've used this personally. I've had a set of iPad minis at one point for, for my classes, and I, even now I have an, six iPhone 4Ss I bought for really cheap, and I use them for game shows, just for buzzers and things, so I lock everything out. There's nothing on there. The kids can get to the settings app and the phone app. That's the only things that I can't actually remove from there, but everything else is locked, and usually when I hand it to them, I put it into single app mode so that they can't even go to the home screen or anything, but just for security and peace of mind, I just remove everything on there, and I do this through a mobile device management profile. And you know, with 72.6% of junior high school students and 95.3% of high school students using a smartphone, providing parents with a simple way to manage these devices seems like it might be a good idea. There's really great options as well for teachers who want to use devices in class. I'll talk about that in a future episode. But for now, this service is free for AU users, and it's scheduled to begin on January 25th. Well, we did Docomo and we did AU, so might as well round things out with a story from SoftBank. Mobile carrier SoftBank has announced that they are adding a new plan called the Gakuwari Sensei plan. Their Gakuwari plans are usually reserved only for students, but this new plan is for either people who are 25 years or younger or teachers. And this plan starts at a discounted price of 3,980 yen per month for one year. This includes their Ultra Gig Monster plan, which allows for up to 50 gigs of data per per month to be used. Now, for users who don't need a lot of data and are okay with an iPhone 8 or 8 Plus, a second smartphone debut option is marketed at users who have not had a smartphone before, and this is available starting at 1,980 yen per month. Unfortunately, of course, additional fees may apply to these prices depending on what options you select, whether or not you have a family plan or have home internet through them, if you bundle things. So, you know, these are like the absolute lowest prices, but expect it to be a little more in real practice. And the discounts are only valid for one year. Still, if you're interested, head over to your local SoftBank store before this promotion ends on May 31st. Credit card company Mitsui Sumitomo, in conjunction with Dynamics, have announced a new digital credit card with a lock function built in. Now, on a typical credit card, your credit card number is just printed on and it's displayed all the time. But with these new credit cards, only the first four and the last four digits of the card number are actually printed on the card itself. In order to reveal those middle eight digits, you have to enter a passcode. Now, you set this passcode when you receive the card by entering it twice, and you use buttons that are found right on the card itself. After you set your passcode and then when you need to use it, you unlock it with the passcode, those missing digits will appear on a small display that's built into the middle of the card itself. The card is also able to be used at standard credit card terminals. Now this definitely goes to help alleviate some of the concern that Japanese people may have with using credit cards. Security is definitely a huge factor, not the only factor, but it's definitely a big one in why many are still nervous about using credit cards in Japan. So one like this that has additional security might provide peace of mind to users in the Japanese market. These cards are expected to launch not only in Japan, but also in other countries all around the world later this year. 
A rumor went around this week that Japanese social networking site Mixie was shutting down. Now, I've mentioned Mixie in past when discussing Ticket Camp, but I've never quite explained what it is. Founded in 2004, Mixie is one of the first social networking sites in Japan. And honestly, you can think about it a bit like MySpace of Japan, except Mixie probably still has a lot more active users than MySpace. These days, the interface has shifted to look a little bit more like Facebook with user profiles, as well as ways to post status updates, photos, and comment or like on other people's posts. Now, one unique feature of Mixie that was common on similar copycat Japan based and Japan founded social networking sites was Ashiato. Now, Ashiato means footprints, and that's exactly what these are. When you go to view someone else's page, you leave these footprints, and they are on a page that you can see who's been to your page, and people can see what pages you've been to. In other words, if you go to someone else's page, they can see that you visited. And if someone comes to your page, they, you can see that they've visited. Yeah. And did I mention that you can only delete up to 10 of these per month? If you pay for Mixie Premium, you can go up to 30. But still, imagine if people were able to see a list of people who were stalking them on Facebook or, you know, watching their Twitter profile. I don't know. It just doesn't seem like a good idea. But it's still definitely an idea that's common on Japanese social networks. And there's actually still a few others that are around, especially ones that are specifically targeted LGBT users, including Ling. Ling is one for lesbians. And it used to be there was one called BNB uh, that shut down and Ling kind of popped up to take its place. And both of these basically copied Mixie's feature set and page styles. Ling has been promising that they're going to shut down for ages. They were trying for a while to get a mobile app out and they I finally got the mobile app out, but still, it's been kind of touch and go, and so the website's still up. They've all basically been copying Mixie for a long time. Now, in the early days of Mixie, you needed an invitation from an existing user to be able to sign up for the service. You also needed a PC email address. Now, later on, they changed this to let you use a mobile email address from Docomo AU or SoftBank. But eventually, users of free email services such as Gmail or Yahoo were required to also register a proper mobile email address. Now, this meant that people who did not own a mobile phone, a mobile flip phone, a garake, right, could not register for Mixie. And there was actually a brief period of a couple years. Well, that's not a very brief period, I suppose. But smartphone users and iPhone users were blocked from registering from the service. You for registering for the service, you had to have a flip phone. Smartphones wouldn't work. This was around 2010, I think, right when smartphones and iPhones were just picking up in Japan. All of these missteps really limited their growth, both inside as well as outside of Japan and the Japanese market. Now, one might argue there's some xenophobia going on here, that this was maybe intentional. After all, they never really had English support or anything like that. It was definitely a, a for Japan by Japan service. But regardless, the more open free platforms such as Facebook and especially Twitter, oh, Twitter's huge here, they began to dominate in Japan. And now Mixie tends to be one of those it's still around kind of places. There's people who got in the habit of using it and still use it. There's certain groups that still use it. But you know, it's not really like super popular. So when the rumor started spreading that Mixie was closing, a lot of people just weren't surprised and believed it. 
I personally still have an account, and I only log in maybe once or twice a year because some fans of my favorite singing artist in the whole world, Sakamoto Maya, continue to insist on coordinating their post-concert meetups via Mixi, despite there being great alternatives such as Twitter or Line. Man, it would be great if we had a Line group where we could chat, but they all use Mixi, and they've just, they're in the habit of it, and it's just, it's that community. It's rooted there. So I think they're going to continue to use it until it shuts down. And I guess for now, I'm stuck having to keep it around and check it every now and then because Mixie has flat out denied that they have any plans to shutter the service anytime soon. I don't really think it's worth trying to sign up for a Mixie account at this point, but if you can navigate in Japanese and you're curious or maybe you're just interested in seeing a piece of the SNS pass, you can check them out at mixie.jp or search in the app store for Mixie, M-I-X-I. One other Japanese SNS site that's sticking around is Pixiv, P-I-X-I-V, and that's a site for illustrators and artists that launched in 2007. Over a decade later, it has over 20 million members, and it's a place to exhibit your work and illustrations, as well as receive feedback via user comments and a rating system. But perhaps in response to the explosion of live streaming on sites like Twitch, Pixiv has announced that they are adding a live broadcast feature for artists to use, up to four users on one stream stream will be able to broadcast different things, including the canvas of their drawing apps, such as Photoshop, or even webcam feeds that allow artists who draw on paper to broadcast as well. Now, viewers can comment on the streams age restrictions can be put into place depending on the type of content being posted especially if it's adult content you can limit it to only 18 plus and private streams are also supported for users who want to share their work with a more select group of people i hope you'll be one who's selected and these features are live now on pixiv.net Mobile accessory manufacturer Anchor, one of my favorites, has launched two new Qi chargers. The PowerPort Wireless 5 Stand, a stand-type Qi charger for 2,999 yen, and the PowerPort Wireless 5 Pad, a flat pad-type Qi charger, hence the name, for 2,299 yen. Both of these models support 5-watt wireless charging, but not the 7.5 faster wireless charging that's available on iPhone 8, 8 Plus, 10, as well as certain Android phones. Now, both of these include a micro USB cable, but you'll need a wall charger or some other USB plug to plug into. And honestly, there may be better and faster options, even cheaper options available. But Anchor is known for their high quality products. I've never gone wrong with anything Anchor has sold. So if you want to get a quality, reliable Qi charger, you can find both of these products for sale on Amazon Japan. And speaking of reliable, one thing that's certain is that if you start to use a popular company's logos on your merchandise without permission, sooner or later, you're going to run into certain trouble. And that's what happened this week when 342 smartphone cases were seized in Chiba near Tokyo. Multiple people were arrested on suspicion of violating trademark law by selling phone cases shaped like a latte with a fake Starbucks logo on them. I mean, it's a pretty decent fake, actually. It says Starbucks coffee in almost the right font and everything. And according to the prefectural police, they suspect that one of the suspects has been selling these kinds of imported cases from China as a side job since last year. Now, while it seems like it might be a good side business, still, I think it's a good idea to stay away from cases featuring the actual logos of large corporations. 
and just in time for the 2020 Olympics, although the 2018 ones are around the corner, but nonetheless, the Blu-ray Disc Association has announced a new license specification for BDR and BDRE, that's Blu-ray Disc Recordable and Blu-ray Disc Rewritable, to allow the recording of 4K and 8K terrestrial broadcasts at up to 100 megabits per second. Now, while 4K broadcasts are supported at original quality on standard BDR or BDRE discs, there's new BDRE XL media that's going to be released for compatibility with 8K broadcast. This makes sense because even though they're using the HEVC codec, which has more improved compression for 8K support and for 60p and for HDR, you're still going to need more data. So the BDRE XL media should allow for longer record times and more compatibility. They're also using MPEG-4 AAC and MPEG-4 ALS audio codecs, and they're conforming to some new satellite broadcast standards and AAC. ACS2 copy protection. Now, Japan has three times the average number of BD recorders, and honestly, recording things off of TV using a Blu-ray recorder, they call them BD recorders here, but we have Blu-ray recorders, it's fairly common here. That's why we're talking about it. You know, I have one myself, personally, and I don't really watch terrestrial broadcast anymore, but for a while, I still have a box or two of, of recordings of off-air. It's really common here. I've had people at work say, hey, you know, your favorite artist, Sakamoto Maya, that's two, we'll talk about her sometime, you know, I have one person offer to record a concert for me, you know, or Ikimono Gakari, actually the one that I went to, talked about a few weeks ago, uh, a co-worker recorded that off of satellite for me and just burned it onto a Blu-ray and gave it to me. And it's, you know, it's legal and it's perfectly okay here. It's kind of like recording on VHS back in the day or DVD recorders. I think everything has moved digital in a lot of countries, but recording onto Blu-ray discs for archival purposes is still very common here. And actually, over 2 million recorders were shipped in 2016. So with broadcast TV still incredibly popular here, as well as satellite broadcasts already able to offer 4K and 8K, I really don't see Blu-ray recorders losing their popularity anytime soon. DMM has gotten on the Bitcoin train. Woo woo! This is not train talk time yet. <laughs> By launching DMM Bitcoin, a virtual currency trading site that, despite the name, go figure, seven currencies are actually supported, including Ethereum, Ethereum Classic, Litecoin, NEM, Ripple, and of course, Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. The deposits and withdrawals of Japanese yen are free, as are deposits and withdrawals of virtual currency, but payments to miners have a small transaction fee. Commission for spot trading is also free, but for leverage transactions, a leverage fee of 0.04% per day will apply. They have 24-7 customer service as well as support via line because this is Japan. And DMM will also give a 1,000 yen present to all users who open an account between now and March 31st. So if you're interested, check out the service at bitcoin.dmm.com. And speaking of virtual currency, you knew this one was coming. The current trend in Japanese music right now is idol groups. Now, a lot of the smaller underground groups have different themes, such as wearing masks or dressing like boys, even though we're girls. Hudanjuku's really good, though, but that's another day. And it seems like there's an infinite number of these out there, including a new one called Kasol Suka Shoujo, or the Virtual Currency Girls. Now, in idol groups, members typically have an image color and possibly even an image theme or a role or a part that they represent and the virtual currency girls are no exception because each one represents a different virtual currency including ethereum mona coin nem and of course bitcoin and bitcoin cash interestingly tickets to their shows can 
only be purchased via virtual currencies. And personally, I have a feeling that might limit their appeal somewhat, although some geeks here might actually go after that because it might be a smaller market with fewer fans, so maybe they can get closer to the idols. And the group notes that they're, quote, not here to promote speculation or investment, and that they have, quote, carefully selected a handful of currencies that are sure to exist in the future in order to broaden the public's understanding of them using entertainment as our medium, as well as broaden the size of our virtual currency wallets through ticket sales and merchandise sales. Wait, I think I added that last part. But anyway, I know this, this, this whole thing may seem bizarre to some folks, okay? And I know one of the themes on the podcast will continue to be Japan is not as weird as you think it is. It's a fairly normal place to live. People here are fairly normal. There's extremes. There are certain things, especially around gender roles, that are kind of mm, not very progressive and not quite in the 21st century still. Um, But, you know, what ends up being put in the media, I think, at least in the West a lot of times, tends to be the more outrageous stories because they get clicks and they they make good headlines, you know? And virtual currency idols. I mean, there are so many I could list off of just, like, it sounds weird. Having been both a DJ and actually an underground idol myself, yeah, I was an underground idol for about two years. That's a whole other story. Actually, technically, we're still together. We perform every now and then. And um, in February, I'll be in Tokyo performing. So uh, I'll have more information on that later. Uh, If anyone would like to come see me uh, be an idol again, yeah. Um, You know, it almost seems logical that this would be the next step that some promotion agency or group or manager is going to take what's popular right now, virtual currency, and kind of spin an idol group out of it, you know. And if you're dying to hear the virtual currency girls, you can check them out at the link in the show notes. Okay, so now we're getting on the train because it's train talk time. Oh, yeah. Now, sad news for fans of the pumpkin train this week as J.R. East has announced that they are retiring their famous 115 series trains. These trains were famous for their green and orange paint job and were affectionately known as the Kabocha Densha, the pumpkin train, or the Mikan Densha, the Mandarin orange train. Now, the 115 series trains first entered service in 1963 and are currently used on various lines in the J.R. East area. Last autumn, these trains were very popular around Halloween with many people dressing in costumes to ride the so-called pumpkin train. J.R. East is replacing these trains with ones from the 211 series, which features a lightweight stainless steel body as well as more energy-efficient operation. No official end date for service on the 115 series trains has been announced, though they have affixed an Arigato 115 series sticker to the trains, and these will stay on until the pumpkin train turns into a carriage or scrap metal or something on the last ride in mid-March. And finally, this one's sort of important to me, so I hope you'll listen. You know, I had a whole thing planned for today. I went to a really cool concert last weekend, and they were using iPads and iOS devices in a really unique way to do a show at a place that they normally wouldn't really be able to do a show, and the technology was really enhancing both the experience as well as the performance and the number of people required to run the show. It was really cool, and I was so excited to talk about it. I've got to make an exception, because this week there was a sudden, shocking announcement that one of my favorite idol groups, I've been a fan for like seven or eight years, uh, Momoido Clover Zed, their green member, Ariasa Momoka, is graduating on Sunday. On Sunday, this Sunday. We're going to have like six days between announcement and graduation. Something happened. I don't know what. I don't want to speculate too much. You know, there's rumors. Maybe her 
contract was up and they were trying to negotiate and they were waiting until the last possible second, you know, before contract negotiations to announce it. Or maybe she surprised them and just decided to up and quit, even though they looked like they were going to renew it or, you know, maybe she got pregnant. I mean, there's, I don't know. I don't want to speculate too much. There's, there's a lot of reasons, but I don't know. I'm, I'm really disappointed because it, it feels disrespectful in some ways. Like after all these years, this is how you're going to end it. Like, but then again, maybe something happened, maybe her health. I don't know. You know, she says she just wants to be a normal girl and I can respect that. Um, I'm just kind of sad that we won't get to say more of a proper goodbye, you know? And, and the reason I bring this up is that I probably wouldn't be doing this podcast without them. I became a fan of them, you know, back when they were just debuting. I made a lot of friends and acquaintances and had a, a lot of wonderful experiences because of them. I became a DJ because of them. I became an underground idol because of them. I met a lot of people I know in Osaka and Tokyo and Nagoya because of them. I got to go to so many concerts. There were barbecues. There were picnics. I got to go to Fukuoka. I got to go, you know, various places around Japan to go see them. Um, and lately, I haven't been so, in, you know, going to see them. The the crowd, the concerts has changed. The mood has changed. They've gotten a lot more corporate and a lot more. They've gotten bigger, frankly. And I'm really happy for their success. But I'll never forget there was one. There, it was Kokuritsu. which was in 2013. And they basically, they were about to demolish the National Olympic Stadium to make way for the 2021. I went and it was like, it was this huge dream of theirs. And they did two days of shows. I went to both of them. And I'll never forget it. I mean, it was, it was just gorgeous. People with their little pen lights and these glowing glow sticks everywhere. It's like, it was the culmination of their dreams and all their hard work. And we were all in it and everyone was happy and, and they just had these big floats and all fireworks and just, it was a magical experience that I'm really happy I got to go see. There were a lot of painful memories because of them, but there were also a lot of wonderful things that happened. And I think I got a lot of confidence, um, from them. And even now, when I'm down, sometimes I'll listen to their music and it picks me up. I mean, that's why I like music to begin with. It's something that, you know, podcasts are wonderful, but like occasionally, and TV is great too, but I need to step away and just like go into a zone and, and it, music kind of brings me back. And it's like, it, it, if I'm happy, it makes me happy. If I'm sad, it can make me cry, but then get those emotions out. And, and it can also bring back memories. It's like smell or, or taste. You know, things will trigger memories. And you remember what you were doing at that time. You remember how it felt. You remember those people, those faces. I remember the barbecue. I remember the picnics. I remember all the karaoke, the dance parties and, and the underground stuff and 3 a.m. And we're sweaty and we're dancing and we're, we're doing all the, the moves and we're having fun. And, and, it was just it was a great experience and I got a lot of confidence and I don't think I would have had the courage to do a podcast like this had it not been for them and also for just meeting all the people I have and over the past few days it's been nice to reconnect with some of those people I haven't talked with in a while so and actually the dirty little secret is that the Kaylee Dayo the Dayo part is actually one of the members she used to do Arin Dayo so I kind of copied it <laughs> so I mean there's definitely a lot of inspiration from the group in this podcast and in my name and everything um, if you're interested, check them out in the show notes. I really would love for you to listen to them. Um, there's a few great ones. Hashirea is the one I know I'm going to put in. I'll put a few more in the show notes. Um, you know, they're fantastic and, and it's the end of an era and they're never going to be the same, I think. So, I, you know, music's important to me and I appreciate you listening to this. So thank you. And finally, I wanted to add yet another part onto my 
epic series of mobile phones and internet service. Only this time, it's the reverse. Now what happens when you live in Japan and you need a SIM card for traveling abroad? Well, on my trip to visit my parents who have recently retired and relocated to Florida, I once again needed a SIM card for my iPhone 10, and I went with a prepaid option that I've used in the past, H2O Wireless in conjunction with KDDI. Now one nice thing about the SIM from H2O is that because they're an AT&T MVNO, speeds are fantastic, service is great, and the reception in the area is the best. Plus, you can buy the card prepaid on Amazon with Prime shipping. It's really great. And, you know, I always tend to have good memories of using the card. So time and time again, I find myself purchasing it. However, the one part I always forget, and this is to future Kaylee. Hi, future Kaylee. I always forget how the sign-up process goes because it's broken, more or less. You know, the website is is kind of, the design is not very good. And it's it's old and parts of the website are broken. Um, you know, so you can purchase one of these, like I said, on Amazon Japan. They'll ship it out in one to two days. And it's only a couple hundred yen. It's actually really reasonable, easy to get, and affordable. But the instructions that are included in the package are just wrong. They're just, they're wrong. Uh, you're, you're gonna, you're not gonna believe this. So in order to activate the SIM card, you've gotta visit a very long URL that begins with kddimobilesim.com. And it's included on the Japanese language only set of instructions, except one, if you're asking me to type something into my browser, like .php question mark page equals login, ampersand next underscore URL equals my account, we have a problem. (laughs) And two, the one that they list isn't even the right URL. No, I've used them in the past, so I already had an account, and that may be one of the problems. So I skipped the initial registration, and I just logged in with my existing account. But at all of the URLs that they provided, I could find no logical way to register a new SIM card onto my existing account. I even tried to go to the main English-language H2O website, but it wouldn't accept the quote-unquote act-fast code that's written on the SIM card package, or even the SIM card number itself. The main issue is that they have instructions on how to register register or obtain a phone number for your SIM card, except everything I saw on the site wouldn't let me proceed without already having a phone number. It's like a catch-22. I need the number to get the number, but then to get the number, I need the number. (sighs) And did I mention that you need external Wi-Fi for any of this to start working? Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky I had a long layover, a VPN, and free public Wi-Fi at the airport. Eventually, I took a hard look at the drop-down menu that's in the members area, and I discovered an option in Japanese, which is marked with activation. Now, I looked at the URL, and it was not one of the ones that's listed anywhere in the setup manual. There's like 10 of them that involve .php question mark something, and none of them were this one. I guess they realized that they have such bad service that they never bothered to write a returning customer with a new SIM card part of the setup guide. Uh, okay, so I managed to get it activated, and the pricing is pretty good. That's why I keep going back to them. Eight gigabytes, it's normally six, but they're running a promotion right now for eight gigabytes of data for 40 US dollars on AT&T's network. That's really good, and that's 30 days you have to use it. You know, one other issue is that in order to receive the link to the APN settings, now APN settings set your iPhone to the proper settings to allow it to log onto the mobile network. You've got to receive a link in an SMS that will take you to the APN profile, except the SMS never came. And I even went to get to their Git password URL, and I entered the phone number that I had been provided, and I waited, and nothing. 
absolutely nothing. And I tried again and nothing. And finally, I just had to dig around and do things manually. Hello, APN changer, my old friend. Really nice to see you again. So unlockit, that's one word, .co.nz is a website and it lists hundreds and hundreds of mobile carriers APN settings from around the world. You can use this site to install a profile directly from Mobile Safari on your iPhone and be up and running in no time. Like I said, you'll need Wi-Fi or tethering from another mobile device in order to be able to download this APN unless you grab it before you leave Japan. And there's two final notes. Because I could never get some of the information I needed, such as the password, my Bolt ID, or my contract number, I was unable to use H2O's apps or website. So I literally had no idea how much data I had left or how much data I had already used. And, you know, I also found this out the hard way. Mobile Hotspot is disabled. They lock it down so you cannot tether on these plans. So make sure you know that going in. All told... I really can't recommend these. They're just broken, you know? I mean, look, the SIM is super cheap. The plans are reasonable. The service is fantastic. But the setup is so, so difficult. And if you're not the hacker type like me, it's not worth it. You know, honestly, though, I'll probably end up using them again. I've used a couple of other prepaid or, or ready-to-go SIM cards that I've been able to get on Amazon Japan. And none of them have been as good as this, you know? And that's saying something. But, you know, they're the only option that I have that I've found that I can buy outside of Japan and have an AT&T MVNO or something reasonable, I guess I could get like an actual AT&T card, um, like a SIM card and registered as a Go phone, but the pricing on that is so much more expensive. Since I have this podcast to go back and refer to, again, hi, hi, future Kaylee, you know, I'll be able to remember how to set it up again. You're crazy. What are you doing? Stop. No, anyway. Um, but, you know, if you can help it, I'd recommend trying to find a better quality SIM card and provider. You know, I would love to hear your recommendations from the US or Canada or, or Australia or Europe, wherever you may be listening. If you have a recommendation for a SIM card, I would love to hear that. It'd be nice to have some other options if I decide to go traveling abroad. Anyway, for now, if you can, please subscribe in Overcast or Pocket Cast or whatever podcast app you choose. It sure means a whole lot to me. And this show is also available in Apple Podcasts. If you could rate or review the show, it would really help out. It would help out with discovery, getting the word out there. And you can find the show notes for this episode at platypuspodcasts.com slash geek slash 13 which is also where you're going to find links to all of my social media. And if you have any comments, questions, concerns, topics, or you just want to chat about anything, especially idols, SIM cards, or idol SIM cards, I'd love to hear from you. Please tweet them at me on Twitter at KatieDayo with the hashtag ZetaiGeekDayo so I can find them. Until next week, Ijo, Podcast Heroine, Katie Idokroba, Zed! Seno, Shuryo! Zetai Geek Da Yo is a Platypus Podcast production. Da Zee!